0: I first learned about Steve Schwarzman in 1986 when Ken Aletta's book, Greed and Glory on Wall Street, came out, which was about the rise and fall of, get this, the original Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers had a life before it failed in the financial crisis. Um, It was a powerhouse back in the 1980s and hit the wall back then only to get revived. That's another story. But Steve Schwarzman was a rising young powerful, important investment banker at that point. And then, of course, went on to much, much bigger and better things than that even. Steve Schwarzman is probably Donald Trump's closest ally on Wall Street, which is no small thing because Steve Schwarzman is pretty close to a master of the universe these days um, as the chief executive of the Blackstone Group, which is one of the largest private equity groups on the planet. It's somewhat surprising to me that Steve Schwarzman is that close to Donald Trump because I know that he doesn't see eye to eye with him about everything on the social issues. I know that he doesn't find his demeanor um, to his liking particularly. But I think that he's willing to accept those things because he thinks that his economic strategy makes sense. Um, And I think that he believes that Trump is better than the alternatives. That's Schwarzman's opinion. It really surprised me what Steve Schwarzman had to say about the minimum wage and about education. I mean he sounded like a progressive for Pete's sake. Um, And the thing is he was calling for a Marshall Plan for education in, in America saying we were falling behind and needed a giant rallying cry and a giant initiative to get that back on track and then said as far as the minimum wage, well, gee, we probably should raise it. And for a die-hard free-market Republican businessman, that's kind of surprising. Steve Schwarzman, who is the co-founder and CEO of the Blackstone Group. Steve, great to see you. Good to see you, Andy. So I want to start off by asking you about a recent gift you made, $350 million to MIT to help create the Stephen A. Schwartzman College of Computing. And my understanding is it's all about AI. So the question is, why MIT
1: and why AI? Well, why MIT is one of, they're one of the greatest, if not the greatest, scientific university in the world uh, with huge numbers of Nobel Prize winners and Turing Prize winners. Uh, but uh, MIT was a vehicle in a way. Uh, you know, the, the gift there enables them to double their faculty uh, in, in the uh, computer science area, uh, set up a new college, uh, and have uh, uh, faculty members uh, as links to the other schools of, A, uh, of MIT, so so what this will enable MIT to do is become the first AI-enabled university in the world. Everyone at MIT will be able to have those skills, uh, and and you know the reason also for MIT uh, was was because um, uh, they, they they will be focused on the ethics. Uh, of the introduction of these technologies, which are extremely powerful and could, on the negative side, uh, uh, create uh, higher levels of um, uh, unemployment, uh, people being replaced by computers and machines, uh, and that's sort of the fear. Uh, on the other hand, uh, on the good side, uh, these these. Uh, Technologies will do remarkable things for human beings, in terms of education, in terms of medicine, uh, improving the time to market for medicines, lowering the cost, uh, procedures being cheaper, more accurate, all kinds of wonderful things in almost every area of society. So, so the what 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 was important for me in the ethics area is to make sure, unlike the internet, which is Got a lot of good things, but has encouraged bullying and uh, fake news and all kinds of odd behaviors, which are not controllable. Uh, that 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 you know we do things the right way. Uh, and my other objective with that gift uh, was to increase U.S. competitiveness. And if we were going to double the faculty. Uh, in computer science and, uh, uh, at MIT, it was quite clear to me that the other great universities in the United States would, would dramatically increase their budgets uh, and raise outside money because who wants anyone to get ahead of them? Right, right. Uh, and, and then if we get both of those things to happen, then engaging the U.S. government uh, to put up very significant monies to advance these technologies is the way we used to do things in the past, with the you know space launches and you know competing with Sputnik in the 1950s. Uh, we, we we need uh, a more robust uh, national policy. Other countries are doing the same thing, uh, and it's a bit of a wake-up call. So so that gift, uh, at least in my mind, uh, has has basically. Uh, you know, created, has the potential to create all of these positive things uh, for the country and, and looks like uh, that's on track to happen. So,
0: really, AI was an area that had the most potential for a
1: multiplier effect, it sounds like. I mean, of all the things that you could have picked, is that kind of... Reasonable? I think that's right, because it's not just AI. There, there's other technologies like quantum computing that are uh, exceptionally profound uh, in terms of their impact uh, and and you know all this moves into robotics and other types of things. When you take the whole complex together, it's it's transformative for the workplace, uh, for the country, and ironically, uh, challenging and important for mankind. So th- this is like big field uh, and important and that that's why, you know, I've engaged with it. You
0: mentioned uh, technology writ large and the foibles that exist there. Do you think that uh, social networks and ad platforms and such like Facebook and and
1: the like need more regulation at this point, Steve? I I think they think they need more regulation. And from hanging around uh, with with some of the major, uh, you know, participants in the tech uh, business now, uh, it, it's quite clear that regulation is coming one way or another. For the U.S. tech companies, and uh, I meet with these people, they talk about why why are the tech standards uh, be, being created by Europeans right. at, at a time when Europeans don't have an entrant into the whole industry. And, and we have to fashion what's appropriate uh, for the industry because we have the leading companies in those industries. So I, I don't think there's... Um, Um, reluctance uh, to to deal with a regulatory issue. It all depends how it's done.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I think when they didn't want regulation, the dysfunction in Washington was beneficial, but now that they see the need for it, it's not helpful like it is for so many businesses, right? That's true. Um, So with all the endeavors that you have, and we'll talk about them a little bit more, Yale, MIT, the Schwarzman Scholars,
1: the New York Public Library, how do you choose... What to focus on well that's that's a very good question because uh, i'm so busy i'm not doing a lot of choosing uh, <laughs> that what happens is is people bring me interesting ideas uh you can't do them all uh, i like to do things that are transformative things that create a new pattern paradigm it, it's sort of like starting little blackstones uh, again uh, it's a familiar uh, type of activity for me but it's just deployed in the not-for-profit sector. Uh, and I, 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 I like to do something that'll change an institution or change the future, uh, you know, the way the Schwarzman Scholars is, is changing attitudes uh, uh, in China about the rest of the world, rest of the world to China. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating thing uh, that's, that's enormously respected both in China and outside, Uh, and the objective there is to create uh, a cadre of future leaders, will end up being around 13,000 steady state, that can impact the dialogue uh, in the world involving China and the outside world, uh, so so that we have a greater shot uh, at at peace and um, mutual uh, benefit. Uh, And if we can do that, which we will, we're doing it, it's a reality. Um, then that's a wonderful thing uh, as, you know, sort of uh, like a gift uh, to society and I care about stuff like that. I I don't do it because somebody tells me. Right.
0: Have you ever thought, Steve, about what really motivates you? I think you said about your father who had a store and did okay, that he was content with what he had and that that sort of struck you as not who you were, that you wanted more. What is it
1: that really drives you then? well i i think it was probably my mother uh you know because we all have like a gene pool and then we all have the environment uh that we operate in and you know uh, my my mother was a very positive uh, life force uh and uh, i like uh the concept of creating things and and excellence uh and and winning uh, i've always liked this stuff as as a kid uh and and so if you're lucky enough in life, you, you still have the same feelings you do as a kid. Uh, you may modulate them a bit, uh, but, but your personality is intact. I haven't changed that much. And, and so I enjoy uh, creating things. I enjoy something new. I, I enjoy uh, creating uh, excellence and change uh, in a positive way. I
0: read that uh, you ran track in high school, speaking of being competitive when you were younger. Um, How did that influence you? And I I know that you've given to the National Track and Field Organization here.
1: You know, I I loved running. Uh, Most of us love things we're good at. Uh, I just happened to inherit that. My dad uh, ran also. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it was just wonderful, that idea that you're sort of out there alone testing the limits of what your own capacity is. uh, and you know, pushing yourself, um, and and having you know great results, and being on a team of other people, you know, sort of doing the same thing. Uh, we were sort of fourth in the United States. Mm. It's a big country, right? Uh, and we were just in one state out of fifty uh, uh, in sort of the mile relay. But I, I got you know, I, I actually I. I I saw a woman on television in the Olympics um, who fell down in the last hurdle uh, when she was ahead she would have gotten a gold medal as it worked out um, she got nothing and and you know for an athlete you know winning an Olympic gold medal in that sport that's everything and and so I figured she was so depressed i I invited her to New York uh, to go to the um, uh, to the U.S. Open Championships, and you know, sort of get her out of what I thought. I didn't know this person, like a funk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, how could you not be, you know, totally depressed? Uh, and you know, um, and take her up to see John McEnroe in the in in, in, the, in the broadcast booth, and you know, just do a nice yeah. thing and get her back, with more confidence uh, for the future. And and so, so I did that, and. Uh, and and she, she told, you know, sort of somebody at the U.S. Track and Field Foundation, they, they came to see me and um, said, could you support some of our athletes? I, I said, sure. What, what, what do you need? And, and so now I'm, I'm underwriting 25 of them. Huh. And, and uh, in the last Olympics, I, I think we got, um, I think it was four golds uh, with these athletes, um, uh, three silvers and three bronze, something like that. And, and I've learned that you can't tr- train uh, as a track athlete um, after you get out of college unless somebody supports you because you need two or three jobs. And you have to train twice a day. So you can't do that. Yeah. And, and so the nice thing for me is, is when these great uh, talents say, if, if, if I hadn't had this support, I would have had to quit the sport Right. And it's it's my destiny to win, not mine theirs, and and you make it possible. Right. That's like, that's like a nice feeling. That must be gratifying. Do you do you get a chance to run at all still? Uh, I'm on the treadmill every morning. Uh, I, I don't like running on uneven surfaces as you get older. Right. You know, sort of even surfaces are better. Yeah, but I Excellent. still out
0: there. Good. Shifting gears a little bit, I want to ask you about. Um, Income and wealth inequality, and Ray Dalio recently wrote a long piece about capitalism and why he thought it wasn't working and how to fix it. Uh, one of his solutions um, included higher taxes, uh, and investment also, but higher taxes on wealthy people. What are your thoughts
1: on that subject, just generally? Well, I think it's an important subject, uh, and you know, I've thought about this uh, a lot because whenever you, you 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 find you know some unusual. Um, uh, things happening in society, uh, uh, th- there are reasons. And, and you know, um, wh- what I've learned, just independent of Ray, but confirming, um, is, is that about half of the country uh, f- two or three years ago uh, couldn't write a $400 check uh, in an emergency. They live paycheck to paycheck. They have no savings. And their net worth per capita is about the same as the bottom 50% of the population of Greece. Hmm. So within the United States, it's all not the United States. Imagine like we're half the prosperity of people in Greece at the bottom of, of Greek society. That is not what people expect America uh, to do when we have an a- average GDP per capita around $55,000. So that means some people are making a bunch more and a lot of other people are making less. So the issue is, um, I don't believe it's, it's, it's tax policy per se, uh, be, because we, we have the most progressive, uh, which means graduated income tax uh, in the developed world. We, we, we have um, 1% uh, of the population paying depending upon, Location, uh, forty to in New York State, fifty-one percent mm-hmm. of of the income taxes, and 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 so the, the top is paying a lot uh, uh, of the taxes, uh, but the system isn't working, and and I think the the reason is I would call it uh, income uh, insufficiency mm-hmm. uh, for the for the bottom fifty percent uh, of the country, and I think it's really important that we solve this problem because you're not going to have a cohesive society if these people cannot participate in it. If they're How not... How can we solve it? Well, it's not so hard to solve, actually. It's it's very much correlated to education. Mm-hmm. At the same time this problem developed, the U.S. went from number one in the world when I was younger, going to public schools, um, to number 35. When you go from number one to number 35, right. something bad right. is going to happen. People won't be able to get quality jobs, uh, and they don't have training, even if they're, they're not college uh, uh, prepared uh, to do other things. Uh, and there's a whole way of reorganizing education Uh, paying more money to teachers, uh, getting uh, other people in the classroom, the baby boomers, Mm -hmm. we can still read and write. Probably about 15, depends how you measure it, 15 to 30% of Americans can't. That's no way for these people to progress. And we can educate everybody here. But if you look at where we are, at number 35, we're surely not doing it. And we need some type of Marshall Plan to address this issue. Investing in education in the United States. Making education Would you work, work on a plan to do that? Uh, sure. I, I, you know, I've been thinking about things like right. this because, because our country can't deliver the promise that people of my generation had uh, unless we, we dramatically improve. You can have different philosophies of what you think is right, wrong, and so forth. When you go from number one to number 35, whatever your philosophy is, if it's being deployed, it doesn't work. It's not working. Let me ask you a little bit about um, President Trump. Two
0: questions. Um, first of all, do you think people misunderstand
1: Donald Trump? Geez, that's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, so it's hard for me to comment on something like that. I mean, well, let me, okay, let
0: me ask the next question then about his tax policies specifically then. Where do you stand on that? And are you concerned, as some are, that we're increasing deficits and essentially mortgaging the future by cutting taxes and running up the deficit? Well, what I'd say
1: is nobody likes uh, the consequence uh, of, uh, of large deficits, uh, uh, and the question is, how do, you, how do you make the whole thing fit? Uh, you know, one question that the current administration addressed was, was our complete non-competitiveness uh, in terms of income taxes for corporations. You, you don't win a job creation race by, by having the top taxes uh, in the developed world for corporate activity. You, you should at least be in the middle if not the most right. com- you know, uh, most competitive for if you look for example of of how well ireland has done with the lowest tax rates it it, it doesn't take a, a big brain to recognize that there are, that, that, that there is a correlation uh, between low ca- taxes and economic uh, activity and employment and, and and so that that's a good thing uh, uh, to do uh, but we also need uh, to, to have uh, investments uh, uh, in people uh, mm-hmm. th- that correct this uh, problem uh, of the bottom 50 uh, percent has to be done and, and you know no one wants to increase taxes uh, uh, unless it's on someone else but other social programs see besides this
0: investment in education that you're talking about that might be required to address that problem
1: I, I think I think you have to find a way because I my conceptualization of this uh, is that it's an income insufficiency problem, uh, is that you f- have to find a way to increase the income. Uh, does that mean increasing the minimum wage for instance? I think it does. So uh, so you're and, and when, what, what happens if you would do that is you're not just increasing the minimum wage. Minimum wage only applies to 15 percent of the people in the country. But if you did something uh, in that area Um, uh, that that it will force up the income for other people in that company. In effect, that's a tax on the business community, isn't it? Right. Uh, And the only reason you would want to accept such a tax uh, is if you actually got a result. Uh, And and you you have to have uh, proof, if you will, Uh, not of a concept in general, but how are we going to go from number 35 back up towards number one. Right. I think, and you might be surprised, uh, that if you could make that proof, make that argument, have that plan, that people would say, we got to do something.
0: Well, it sounds like you think that. Um, let me ask you about China a little bit. Obviously, you are an old China hand, or an experienced China hand, I should yeah, say. Yeah, I'm not so old. Okay, right, thank you. Um, But uh, you have the uh, Schwarzman scholars at Tsinghua and uh, have been um, investing there and understand the country. I think a lot of people agree with President Trump that the old rules that were established when China was very much a developing country and it no longer is, should be changed. The question is, is he going about it the right way in terms of forcing China's hand? What do you think of the trade dispute and how do you think it's going to get resolved?
1: Well, I think the trade, result, uh, will, trade issues will, will result in a trade agreement, uh, um, you know, in the next two months, um, because both countries think that's uh, important. Uh, how he got there uh, is non-traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, virtually every other president uh, in, in my lifetime since China was opened by Nixon uh, and Kissinger and I guess it was 1972, uh, three, uh, has failed, every one of them, uh, and we're not going to fail this time. We will not get an agreement that covers every issue uh, that that would be our ask. And the reason for that, of course, uh, is is that the Chinese system, uh, which you know, uh, do- doesn't really make itself. Um, susceptible of complying with all of those assets a mixed system with a very big government sector uh, in in their economy uh, and all kinds of different incentives and controls and 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 so to wean china off of that system is not about a trade negotiation with a short-term solution for 70 years uh of of different uh, uh Uh, evolution and a different fundamental business model than we have uh, in the West. Uh, This is a start. And as China gets more wealthy, um, uh, it'll be easier for them to change. As China manufactures their own intellectual capital, they will want to protect it. And so I think what we're going to have is is a very good start, Um, but, but you won't get Hundred percent of what you know, some people would say. Well, we should get all that, and you're dealing with 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 a society and a structure that doesn't do any of that, pretty much, and, and so they'll think they've gone far. We'll think uh, they've made progress, but it's a start. Uh, and so, like most things in American politics, you'll have some divisiveness of that. But if you step back and you say, are we better off with a really good first step, uh, as opposed to whichever previous president you want to pick uh, that you think is terrific, they accomplished nothing uh, in this area. Uh, I think the proof of concept, you know." Who, who, who could, like, relate to all of these tariffs? We've never had that uh, at this scale in our lifetimes. Uh, uh, but it apparently did manage to get the attention, uh, which is what it was meant to do, uh, and I think we'll have a successful outcome if you measure by what is in the possible zone, and that's infinitely better than where we were. What do you say, Steve, to Chinese political leaders? Do you speak candidly to them? I do, yeah. I sort of speak like this. This is my one way of speaking. And, you know, what's interesting about them, and, and I'm, I'm lucky enough to deal with really pretty much all of them, uh, is, is if you tell them what's really happening, what the perception is of what's going on, what likely outcomes are as a result of making no change which won't be good for them and and what 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 is sort of in the fair and reasonable standard uh they they're very uh, uh, open uh in other words if you're viewed as somebody who's uh, just operating in the best interests of all parties in other words you know you can't make a deal if you don't know what the other people really want uh and have any real concept of what's fair because you're coming from different systems. Uh, the, the Chinese haven't had the world's most remarkable economic trans- transformation uh, of any society in a 40 year period. I mean, it's, it's amazing what they've done and they haven't done it because they don't listen. They haven't done it uh, because they're not smart. Right. They are smart and they just need the, they need the honesty. Right. People tell right. them what's up. And though it's up to them to figure it out. Right. Let me ask you about uh, Blackstone a little bit and the business
0: cycle. Um, it's been reported you guys are raising a big fund, $22 billion, the biggest fund on the way to being bigger, the biggest fund you guys have raised, the biggest since 2007. And when I saw that, I said, uh-oh, does that mean it's the top of the cycle? So where do you think we are in the cycle and how is Blackstone positioned?
1: Well, that's a really good question, Andy. And, um, you know, the cycle was declared over, I think, uh, in the fourth quarter uh, of um, uh, 2018 last year. And uh, I think everybody was agreed, uh, you know, and not not being, you know, self-congratulatory. I thought it was crazy uh, what people were saying. You thought it was crazy when people declared it over? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have about 200 companies and, and you know, we saw an economic slowing, but we didn't see a recession. No one of our CEOs saw that happening, and so I don't have to be too smart to, to know that's what they think we, we have uh, uh, at the firm over a hundred billion of uh, revenues, five hundred thousand people working uh, at, our, at our companies, and if, if they are all seeing the world differently uh, than than you know the media. Um, I'd bet on them uh, because they're actually, they're dealing with customers. And, and so I, I think what's happened is global growth has, has softened uh, for sure, you know. Uh, China not as soft as you think, uh, and that was reported. Uh, oh, surprise, surprise. Uh, you know, they, they've stimulated their economy and they're, they're not collapsing. Uh, they'll probably grow around six. If you think they aren't performing, you know, reporting accurately, wherever they were is not going down anymore. It's starting to come up. The uh, U.S. will be, I don't know, two and a quarter, two and a half. Um, and it's Europe, ironically, that's really the problem. Uh, Europe is 25%. Why is that ironic? Well, they're so big. Oh I see. Okay. I mean uh, China's around 15% of the world economy, Europe's 25. Mm. US is around 23 uh, and to have the biggest engine of the world that nobody talks about. Right. Everybody talks about the United States. Everybody talks about China. Hardly anybody talks about Europe and Europe is you know sort of in a I don't know whether it's no the sick man
0: of Europe is Europe
1: Yes, right. <laughs> yes, and and so that's what you know. We're having a slowing, but right. but but we're not uh, certainly in the U.S. Certainly in China, um, you know, we're, we're not having recessions.
0: And finally, um, Blackstone was founded in 1985. Um, it's been a number of years now, Steve. Right? Apparently. Yes. So, Goldman Sachs, 1869. So, you know. What do you look to do to make this a sustainable institution, and where do you see Blackstone 25 years from now?
1: Yeah, well, Blackstone is a sustainable institution. Uh, you know, we've been here uh, be 34 years this year. Uh, our flows of capital, uh, um, going into the alternative uh, businesses dwarf everybody uh, in our field. Uh, and it's changed. The way uh, institutions who give out money uh, uh, allocate the the performance of uh, our types of products, just to make it simple, for our high performance products are about double the stock market uh, after fees, uh, and with uh, almost no loss uh, of individual things, let alone a fund, no. uh, and so. Uh, and and this is over decades not just one little cycle measurement cycle and so if you can make if you have an expectation to make double in one area why wouldn't you give it funds and and so what's happening to the money management uh, industry it's becoming a barbell where you have on one side of the barbell uh, index funds next to no fees Uh, basically mirroring a market so you can't be criticized and and, and many active managers underperform so that's where the money's going there and on the other side people need you know extra return and they're going into the alternatives whether it's private equity real estate um, uh, credit other types of areas and and we're the leader and and we uh, intend to to continue Uh, expanding, where we see something good. We don't expand for the heck of it. We're in the business of giving great uh, ride to our customers. That's the only reason we exist as a business, to do a great job for people to give us money. And we measure ourselves pretty simply. Uh, Are we the best in the world at what we do in that area that we choose to be in? Uh, This is a very easy way to measure yourself. Uh, If you're not, that means you have to improve. Yeah. And, and so at the firm itself, where we've gone through uh, you know, two generations uh, of succession, in effect beyond me, Tony James, who was uh, you know, the president for about 17, 18 years, and now John Gray. Uh, and we're very fortunate to have people of, uh, who, who reflect the firm's culture and have great talent and people at every position in the, uni- in, in, in the firm with the next generation as well. And, and we believe some simple things like don't lose money. If, if you don't lose money for customers and you do really well and you, you, you run your risk to always be protective, then, then you will do a good job. So I, I am extremely optimistic uh, about, about our future. And we just have to not mess it up. And you have to always feel like you're just starting, that you're always at risk, that the world owes you nothing. You have to earn it every day. You're like a basketball player. It doesn't matter what your record is. If you go out and you, you only score 40 points and that's what happens to you, you're not going to win.
0: A lot of people sometimes knock Steve Schwarzman. They say, oh, you know, he's all about himself. Um, his ideas are kind of over the top. You know, he, his his notions are exaggerated. But boy, you look at Blackstone and it is a powerhouse. And not only is it huge and impactful, but the other thing that really belies some of those comments I was making from other people is that it's actually very well run. Um, people like to work there. Lord knows they're highly compensated, um, but it's a place that really, really works. And, of course, the challenge is going to be to keep it going after he is um, retired or gone. But for now, that place is humming on all cylinders. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Surwork.